0: This podcast is created and produced by Innovator. If you're looking to cut back or eliminate hot work on your next job, or for all of your industrial services needs, visit innovator.ca. Hello and welcome to the Industrial Innovators Podcast, hosted by founder and CEO of Innovator, Don Cooper. I am Wyatt McPherson. I produce this show. And this week, we have got a longtime friend and business associate of Don's with us, Joel Wittenbrocker, president of MacTech. They discuss their long history together, technologies they're utilizing in the field, where the businesses are at, and what they see for the future. So let's hear what they have to say.
1: Good day, everyone. It's Don Cooper from the Industrial Innovators Podcast, and I've got our podcast producer, Wyatt McPherson, with us. And today, we have a longtime friend of mine, from uh, a company called MacTech, Joel Wittenbrecher. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. Good to be here, Donnie. You too, Wyatt. So, Joel, you and I have known each other for, this will date both of us, um, Mm -hmm. but I think we've known each other since the early to mid-90s. That's Um, great.
2: I I would back that one up so far. I'm in agreement.
1: I I think we first start working with each other a little bit in 94, 95, and then uh, I was at your house and at your shop for the first time in uh, the summer
2: of 1996. Is that when I was? I remember you coming down and I remember. Yeah. You, uh, you, trouble, but trying,
1: we tried to get into some trouble. I remember you took us out on your boat and we did a little, uh, did a little bit, a little bit of uh, riding down the, I think is that the Mississippi near you. It is. It is. Yeah. And and, uh, I think we, we had a few beverages from time to time and, um, I think you you introduced me to jalapeno poppers on that trip, and I've uh, I've loved them ever since.
2: That <laughs> yeah, was a fun night. Uh, we had fun,
1: and then we had our uh, our our barbecue over at um, we did. at George Rich Creek's. Yeah, we did. Uh, we state. did
2: uh, kind of bomb a party that they were having for a bunch of a bunch of hoity-toities, and we decided to show up on Saturday afternoon. And, yeah, uh, we
1: didn't. Uh, we didn't quite fit in with uh, with George's uh, more uh, elegant crowd. I think. Yeah, we be a nice way to yeah, put it.
2: We didn't get. We didn't get locked up. They let us in the door the next week. It was all good. That was all good. So,
1: Joel, uh, today we're talking about um, MacTech's application of using laser inspection uh, integrated with field machining. Correct. But before we jump into that, why don't you tell me uh, who is MacTech and uh, a little bit of the history of the business?
2: Sure, sure. MacTech goes, uh, our initial founding was in 74 under the name of StressTech, which is uh, in the heat treating business, uh, on-site resistance heating treat- treatment business. Um, founded by an individual basically as a sales rep. And it kind of grew over time. And in 85, MacTech was founded as an adjunct uh, partner company of that, some co-ownership, some mutual ownership. Uh, and over time, MacTech has grown a lot more than the stress tech side. So it kind of, MacTech became the, the king. MacTech was to do on-site machining. This was 1985, really not much presence in the upper Midwest. Uh, people had to come from Chicago or further away to do any of the work in the power plants. And there was some power plant building going on and quite a bit of work in those. So Kind of a niche niche uh, situation I, I met the company in the early nineties ninety one ninety two type time frame and just got to know mactech uh, and then in ninety three ninety four uh, i could I could basically say that I was being adventurous, but I was looking for a job quite honestly and I, <laughs> and George said, "Come on up here, the guy that was the owner of MacTech. come on up here and help me run this business." Um, And I did that in uh, fall of 1993, uh, officially January 1994, thinking it was going to be a several year gig and uh, today is uh, quite a ways longer. Uh, 25, 26 years later, uh, partner and I bought the business about 12 years ago and uh, they're having some fun. Our business is mostly field machining, uh, but we have a really strong presence in the site heat treating business. And a big presence in the offshore, decommissioning and abandonment business where we're building diamond wire uh, equipment to cut uh, up structures offshore principally, but also in the civil market. So our, our business is profiled that we do, uh, we design and build equipment. And we sell that equipment to anybody that's got enough money to buy it. And we rent it to people that don't have enough work to justify owning it. And if it's not your area of expertise, we'll do a full field service. and. The field service side of our business is, is the biggest portion of our business. It's about 60% of our revenue and sales and, reven- and rentals are kind of 20-20 each and 60-40 split between equipment and contract service. And that obviously moves around when you get a big lump. You know this business, Donnie, that you, you budget, there's going to be, when you do your budgets at the beginning of the year, well, there's going to be a big chunk coming from over here. He said, well, how can you do that? Because it happens every year. I don't know where it's yeah. coming from, but something big is going to happen. So. Yeah. It, it happened with us this month. You know, we, you know, we, we've had a strange
1: winter in Canada. Oh, you're not that far away from us really in terms of the weather system. There's
2: no, there's no bumps or nothing you know. to stop it from down here.
1: Yeah. We didn't, uh, we had a bit of a, a milder December and our, our winter business is is more on stream repairs. And then mm-hmm. January started off mild and then the bottom fell out. But you know, instead of it staying cold, we've gone through this crazy uh roller coaster ride for 6 weeks where it got to -40 and then up to +5 and then down to -20 and then up to +10 and um i i literally don't know what what to expect from the weather from day to day and that was really weird on our business um and cuz normally a sustained cold is what is what really drives what happens with online repairs but i think all that yo-yo effect is finally uh Made a lot of clients' uh, systems go pop because uh, February has been unexpectedly uh, unexpectedly busy in the repair side of the business. Yeah, which, I, think that, I think
2: that's right. I think those, those big swings and variances are just as strenuous as the extremes kind of deal. Uh, it's hard on stuff. And we're seeing the same thing. We had, uh, we had not big expectations. We try and, you know, not bleed too bad in the first two or three months of the year so we can make it in the middle. Yeah, uh, we had the biggest January that we've had in five or six or seven years, and uh, we feel like we've got some pretty good momentum too. So you've been there twenty six ish years, yeah, and
1: about halfway through that, you were like the Remington commercial—you liked it so much you bought the company.
2: Yeah, kind of. I was. I, I'm not. I'm a little different than Bob Kraft, but not that much. But. Uh. <laughs>
1: Well, I know you, uh, you, you know, uh, George moved on to another stage in his existence and
2: uh, yeah, you, and, and, and you George, bought
1: it from the family. Uh,
2: George had passed away and, I, and his widow and, and we, um, we were at a very fortunate time. Uh, you know, big things happen in the on-site business. I mean, I view we run our business to make money every year, to be profitable, to have good margins, to keep full-time employees. We have some core tenants in our business. Uh, but it's really also about being ready to grab that brass ring when it's when it comes by when you're riding on the merry ground. Right. That big opportunity is going to show up, and you need to be prepared to grab it. And in the 2006 type time frame, Hurricane Katrina just crushed the Gulf of Mexico.
1: Yep, I remember.
2: Billions and billions of dollars of recovery uh, money out there, and we happen to be in the right time with a with a fairly sizable bucket to collect a few of those and. And, and that's where we made our mark. We made we brought our is just true to our core foundation. We brought innovation, and a different view, to the game than what people were trying to do. They were trying to slug it out with with technology rather than conform the equipment to the application. And so we got fortunate. Um, and Rita George's widow didn't want any part of the business, and she said we want to put it up for sale. And we may we came to an agreement on an offer and closed that in about literally about sixty days. We're very very fortunate and uh and from then it's been good things we had a we had a really hot run until b p macundo blew up in the Gulf of Mexico, and everything went completely quiet from a very robust economy but we had i guess fortunately I don't, not that we were that smart, but we had put a lot of money back into the business uh you know we were making a lot of money in the bad economy in 2008 2009 2010 we were making money uh, people were struggling we could buy equipment and add to our fleet and add to our manufacturing capabilities at really really great values like 40 50 cents on the dollar kind of things and uh, we took advantage of that we kept growing our baseline our on-site business which we call like land-based or on-site and the offshore business went from Six or seven hundred thousand dollars a month and nothing. Uh, we just kind of held our own, and rebuilt, and, and now it's yeah. growing again. And we've got a big international presence there. So, so when that. when BP had that
1: blowout, it really impacted all offshore activity in terms of uh, that part of your, your company.
2: And that was, oh, and, absolutely. and just just you, shut down. what's that? They just just shut, shut it down. down. I mean, yeah. it was just like they shut off the faucet and there was nothing happening. Uh, from yeah. a very active deal. And so that was also uh, a lot of political action so that they saw things that they didn't like the way that it was being managed with the the permitting and stuff like that. And it it wasn't the cleanest deal, but uh, the administration imposed a lot more rules on it. And though that was supposed to clean up things, it didn't allow things to happen. It just a bureaucratic mess. So, you know. Took a while for that stuff to work itself out. Yeah, the government and I don't agree all all the time about how fast things should get done and when but uh...
1: I I would say that as a general rule I think all of North America can say that not, the government doesn't uh, exactly do efficient uh, work.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they do they do some really good stuff and we should appreciate it and not be too negative but their efficiency is not at the top of the list I don't think. Nor nor is speed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, not, 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 a, not, a, not a not a, ton of really successful entrepreneurs enter into the bureaucracy part of business, I think, right?
2: I don't think so. I don't okay. think so.
1: So, um, you know, just to kind of sum up MacTech, MacTech is a field machining business, and you're, you're manufacturing, renting, and performing field services uh, in the areas of cold cutting, flange facing, pump-based milling, uh, w- uh, diamond wire cutting – and that's a lot of that is focused in offshore applications. I mean, you've got other peripherals on that around end prepping and line boring. But the mainstay of your business is, is, is a variety of, of cold cutting applications, flange-facing, yeah.
2: pump-based milling. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, I would say milling, uh, pipe cutting, because that's where we came from. So that's just yeah. like, that's just our commodity item, which is great. We love it, you know, do a lot of it pump milling, and uh, we do a lot of line boring and actually have gotten into our biggest customer for the last three years and probably for the next three years as a shipyard in Wisconsin. I mean, oh, you really? Wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that that fits together that well, but they're very active in uh, U.S. government uh, literal combat ship development and building program, and we do a lot of work on every one of those boats and actually have, for once, have a have a backlog. I mean, most people don't give us any forewarning, but we've got the next- Six or seven ships contracted to do the field machining uh, and integrate. That's,
1: that's, that's the one good thing about government kinds of projects is that's you exactly right. they don't move fast, but then they last forever, right?
2: Yeah, they can. <laughs> they can last for a long time, and and so I think this one's going to work. And we actually just picked up the whole benchmarking contract for the the measurement side of the deal, which is basically where you set all the references in the ship as you build it. So right we've never done that we're doing it in cooperation with a company who's been doing it for the last 15 years we're not we didn't we weren't brave enough to just take it on but we married up with them and and we think working together we're going to bring some real efficiencies and and we're real pleased to learn a lot about that so cool well that's that
1: kind of leads into what we're going to talk about for a while which is uh the integration of laser inspection and field machining. So, uh, why don't you tell us what that is?
2: Okay. Uh, laser measurement is, uh, three dimensional measurement capacity. It is wireless. So I basically can carry around a little mirrored ball and a laser will follow me around and I can touch off or it will, it will take sequential uh, readings by time or distance, uh, meaning I can just carry this ball around and I can measure things. And so I can, it'll measure in three dimensions, any or more technically. Um, So I can measure the flatness of a large surface. I can measure the perpendicularity of surfaces. I can measure inline lines of sight for bearing lines or shaft lines, just about anything you can think of. uh, I can measure it. And this valid up to about, uh, let's call it a 50-foot radius. You can actually get long further than that. And you're accurate, really, to about a couple thousandths of an inch. Uh, so it's extremely accurate. It's extremely flexible. As long as you can see it, you can measure it. And actually, you don't even have to do that. There are ways to get around corners uh, to measure things. Uh, you just pick each, pick up yourself uh, or reflect around a corner. Um, and And so, basically, it's a technology that's been around for quite a while. I can't tell you exactly. I'm going to guess 30, 20, 30 years. It came in, used to be very high focus. It it was used a lot by people like Boeing to build uh, airplanes and measure parts and critical parts. Uh, And uh, we saw it and became familiar with it. We had a couple of pharaoh arms in our shop that we used for measurement. You know, Mm -hmm. again, it's a a portable coordinate measuring machine that you can measure the validity of a size or dimension or a part. And that's the furrow arm, that's more of a physical measurement as opposed to a laser, right? Correct, correct. That's where I'm going to stay connected to my my brain, my horse, my computer, whatever it is. I'm going to stay connected via arm all the time. And the only real difference is I get to carry this ball, this SMR, which looks like a big marble. we got something that looks like this is a a fake SMR. (laughs) Don't tell them this is not the real thing. So, but I can literally take this over and I can touch this wall and I can touch it here and I can touch it here. Three points dictate a plane and I can build a reference flat to the earth, for instance, which is what the machine's gonna set up on. And in literally real time, I can tell you how flat that plane is and how perpendicular it is to the earth, for instance. Um, right. so the, that's it. And so you're exactly right. The SMR, the arm, physical touch, I'd have to reach out here and it would be connected the whole time. And there are ways to jump that and establish a plane and move it and jump it and stuff like that. But every time you do that, you're adding up risk of error and stuff like that. and compound. But the
1: laser really allows this to be much more portable, take it into the plant, be, be much, give you a lot more versatility in the ways that you're using those flatness tools, right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And you can, you can. it's versatile, it's quick, it's easy uh, to gather data. Uh, it's safe uh, in that there are some times that you physically don't have to stand in a, a place where there might be some, some risk or heat or things like that. You can literally put the, uh, they don't like it when I talk like this with the laser text, but you put the ball on a stick and hold it out there. And you know, they have more precise terms for what that really is. It's the yep. SMR on our engagement yeah. Uh, I, uh, you
1: know, I, I learned this whole technology from you. Uh, <laughs> we started doing it because you and I did some projects together and I thought, you know, you know, I've been, I, I haven't been involved in field machining quite as long as you, but almost, um, I think my first field machining job was actually with MacTech and at uh, at SAS Power and Boundary Dam and mm-hmm. the summer yeah. of 97 is when I was physically doing work before that I was a uh, uh, I was doing bolting and, and leak repair and then started working with you you guys on field machining and been doing it now for 24 or 25 years or whatever um but uh you introduced me to uh laser flatness work relative to a different way of approaching uh field machining and you know for us it's for the clients who get it and have finally understood its value it's a game changer um in terms of efficiency productivity accuracy inspection capability documentation you know there's a whole bunch of boxes that it checks that um you know that really drive efficiency and productivity on on, on, a, on, a on, on any project.
2: Yeah, and I, I appreciate you saying that. I got you into it, so it's one of, another one of those things that's, that Don says. Well, if Joel can figure this out, it can't be that tough. So there's got to be. Well, something that you
1: know, I, I didn't want to say that, but I'm glad you did. But <laughs> no, you're, you're probably much like me that you didn't figure it out, but you had a great group of people
2: who figured it out. I just figured. I just decided to do it before anybody. That's that's yeah. the whole deal. Is, um, and I was and I was being a copycat that's all right that's not a copycat it's a it's innovating in a different way getting there first so you yeah. know if you don't if you don't take the, the experience and talent and success and drive it a little further then that's what it's all about. We like to that's that's a great description of dealing with the customers and it takes a while to convert them oftentimes. Uh, we had a old line customer from uh, in the shipyard ran the ship, repair side of the equation for i don't know 30 40 years or something like that and terry would just say like i don't care you i you'd bring a 30 foot bar out here to measure these two bearings and right. said, terry you're wasting time and money and yeah. finally i got him to to said just let me do it trust me and, and we had a great relationship a lot of trust and from then on it was like hey joel bring that robot back out here come on get RTDT d2 back out here and and it worked like a charm we like um we like to talk about it when we talk to the customers that we call it the GPS of field services. You know, It's really about uh, just like in your car pretty much, you lay out the map of where you're trying to get to, you take, a, you take all the references to tell you where you are right now, and you know where you're trying to get to on that map. And as you go along, it'll tell you exactly what's been done or where you are. You can tell you how flat, how much material is left, all kinds of differences where you are relative to your coordinates and your specific datum and when you're done you've got another map and you give them a this is what it looked like when you gave it to me b this is what it looks like when i give it to you and this is where we went all along the way and you know it's a huge it's a huge tool for the customers that get it you know and, and they do it doesn't take them long it's harder to get on site but once you're there and you've done it once or twice it they're true believers. It's pretty easy to, to come back with that process. And uh, so and we kept we've probably got I don't know what the number is, I probably should know. And it doesn't really matter if I know or not, because I can make it up during this broadcast. But I'm gonna say we have about two hundred jobs with files on them, you know, where we've got the spatial analyzer file from the job we did start to finish and, and now you're getting similar repeat jobs. Well, we sure. pull that, we know what it looks like man, what a selling point to walk into the customer with this essay report and say, this is the kind of thing I'm going to give you for this. And by the way, I think we can be more accurate and I can prove to you more concretely, more truthfully what your part looks like. And I think we're going to be done in a day earlier than we used to do it or the customer competitor does it. And like, come on in, let's give this a try. They quit looking at your rates when you tell them things like that. Yeah there's you know we'll,
1: well, I'm going to jump into a, a few interesting things we learned as we got got more and more into this but I just want to summarize for our listeners you know a, a couple of the use cases that we're kind of talking about you know the one use case that we use this system on that I learned from you was specifically on a maintenance turnaround they've got you know, hundreds of components coming apart in terms of reactor flanges, heat exchanger components in particular, all the channel, shell, tube sheet, uh, gasketed components. You know, depending on the client's, you know, bolting and leak prevention program, they have some level of needing to dial those into to a flatness. And the traditional way of doing that is, you know, using dial indicators that most people would be familiar with if, uh, if they understand... Uh, you know mill rate and machining activity and we're eliminating Dial indicators and all of the time and energy um, Associated with that uh, and and adding a whole bunch of other value um, The other application that we haven't done so much, but I've seen you do it a little bit um, is combining your laser system with um, with pump-based milling both on setup and on on actual performing the machining and final inspections, why don't you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, great example. Uh, you know, you've got a any kind of motor base or a pump base or anything like that is basically a, a big flat surface, and it's got to be flat at, in reference to normally the world, but that's not absolutely the case. Uh, and certainly not an engine foundation in a ship. It's got to be flat in reference to what the parallel of the keel line is. Right. Uh, but you want it flat and then you got to have a specific height differential because the, all the parts you're hooking together, you're usually hooking a motor to a pump to something else. In, in time. So those have height differentials. Uh, that, so first of all, you got to be flat and sometimes you have to have the correct height differential, oftentimes a shim. So you basically just pick that surface and identify how, what the plane it is, what plane is it in right now? What Mm -hmm. height relative to where you need to be is it? And then you just, then you can just use from that point, you can set your machine up to be parallel to the line you need to be in. And then you can use the, literally use the tracker laser almost as an indicator. Then at that point, it's really your indicator because you're zero, you know, you need to get to 50 or whatever the number is. It's basically an indicator and a DRO uh, like you might use on a, a machine, a manual machine tool or a machine tool in the shop. So it tells you where you are and your, you know, your relative references. which You get to call zero, whatever you want it to be and stuff like that. So we do that a lot. Um, big motor. How is, that, uh, how is that different in terms of
1: time if you were doing that with, you know, a, a traditional field machining application on a pump-based job where you're having to either – Either shoot sight lines and/or use dial indicators first to do all your setup, and then to do measure all your finishing cuts. Like just yeah, what's the, what's the efficiency created by using the laser?
2: Yeah, I think the key ingredients are is you can identify what you what you have real fast, very right. quickly. I can show up and tell you what's going on, and that's really hard to do to give you a real field uh, topography map with mechanical stuff. I mean, optics is a pretty cool way to do it. And guys, old line guys that are really uh, proficient at optics can get you pretty close, but the laser is really rapid to, to get you that that initial roadmap. So that's efficiency one too. And then see, this is where this is where this is going to give you one of my secrets. Now, this is one of the big, uh, Everyone listen closely. This is a good part. Lean in <laughs> a little closer. Okay. Uh, Mac tech, we believe we've thought about this and we've talked about this and we've actually taken some uh, oral lubrication to kind of expound and really think about this smart at times over a couple of beers. We think one of the advantages we really have is we think like a manufacturer. Right. And that means we are looking at what does the end product need to look like? What What is really, where are we going with this? So, and that's one of the differentiating factors of why we integrated it, because we were working with people who were really talented metrologists, really smart, smart people, great reporters, but they were really all about data and numbers and making pretty drawings and stuff like that. And they would give us, they would just be feeding us, but we didn't know where we were really, stuff like that. So, yeah. They didn't have any
1: context to what the output needed to be to actually get to what the client needed for. Hey, I need a flatness inspection. What does it need to be? I don't, you know, I remember um, when we were first uh, playing around with that system and I, from the manufacturing, you know, there's a bunch of different laser systems out there. And, you know, I'm agnostic to what brand of laser you use. It's really the application. What I found was that you get a whole, you know, the, the, the report that comes out of the, factory laser system doesn't give you what you need for the application. You've got to develop the right tools and reports to quickly tell the customer yes,
2: no. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, the other big efficiency that I've found (coughs) that we have found, um, especially on milling basis and, or a lot of times you're not milling an entire surface, but you're milling where four feet might sit or eight pads or a, a series of pads relative to each other. Is historically all field most field machinists would try and get the biggest mill you could get that would touch all the pads at once. Get as much as you absolutely possibly can at once. And I've had I've had
1: dozens of field machinists work with for me, with me over the years, and I might have three portable mills in my shop, and inevitably, every <laughs> single time, they tell me, I need a different mill. I need something bigger. It needs it needs to be longer, it needs to be wider because i 've got a long stretch between the pads because they're thinking like a dial indicator machinist
2: absolutely. they think one setup, and they also usually when they get that great big honking machine they 'll spend about a shift or so setting it up because it's just a hundred oh, percent just a, a shift, piece a shift, a shift or so <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah a but, lot a lot on the a lot on the sole part right but if you if you uh if you trust the, the laser, if you trust your tracker, and you have to or you shouldn't use it, then I can set three smaller, easier to set up machines and maintain mm-hmm. data and play. So I'm games ahead of you. Even if you have a mill that covers every one of those pads, you've only got one spindle running. I can have two or three spindles running and, and put more people to work. If time is your deal. Well, with- And, and if, you
1: use, uh, if you use a smaller mill and say you have three of them, it's way more economical than a huge gantry mill anyway.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we own and build gantry mills. We, we've got them out in the field all the time and stuff like that. But the flip side is, you know, we can run that. and We can run another one over here and you may not be live interpreting data all the time, but you don't need it. A lot of the time on the milling side, you're just taking material off and come back and check and come back and check. So there's a lot of spindle time. So that's a big efficiency to, to really just jump in that's there. An, and get that's an you.
1: interesting use case because you just gave me such a huge idea, you know. With you know, with you know, when we have pump based jobs and our guys constantly say, "Oh, we need an eight foot gantry mill because we because of the stretch between the pads." And I'm like, you know, how many mills have I bought from Joel over the years, and they're <laughs> all in the shop. Not can, we not, can we not use one? <laughs> and, uh, so. and inevitably, they're they're you know, there's they're going to. Go to rent one or bring it in from bring it in from the U.S. somewhere because there wa- isn't one available for uh, where we're, we're located for the job and mm-hmm. and the idea of using a smaller mill and, and using the laser to you know enable you to do all those with a smaller mill, that's a brilliant application. I just learned something.
2: There you go. Think, I've known you, you all these you years
1: know. Joel and, and you taught me something new that I hadn't considered before. I, I was that- always considering the setup of the large mill. And you just gave me a cool idea on yeah. Easy, it's easy, it's way an more easy to teach and train too now you can Well, oh, it's play. way easier to train someone on a on a small
2: 4-foot mill than it is a 8-foot gantry. Yeah, and you can, yeah, and you can prove it out in your shop. You know, put two put two pads welded something down 10 feet apart and say, "Guys, let's put the Tommy, you go get that one going, Billy, you get that one going. Here's your paint, I'll give you the data as you go." And all of a sudden go, the light bulb goes on, and they maybe they thought of it.
1: Yeah. So you know, I you know, I, I hope the audience gets value out of this because I'm going to take this segment of the podcast and have Wyatt cut it and give it to my my field machining guys and say, don't ever ask me for a 10 foot mill ever again.
2: Now, investors are real big. if you don't, production if you don't have a 10 foot mill, you still need one. I'm okay with you getting another. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if I do a
1: hundred small milling jobs, I'll be able to buy one of those quarter million dollar fancy. No, not a problem yeah, for, for sure. Uh, I always buy them from you anyway so if I get one it's com- it's coming from you.
2: I know uh, I know that you're you're pretty pretty darn good about that side of the equation. So um now Actually, that's, that's a I would tell you that that's a differentiating factor in our field too in that we um, we have moved kind of into some different upper tiers in the field machining and the milling and mm-hmm. and turbine work turbine work as we would like to call it north of the border. Potato uh, and potato but uh, but we do it with uh, a lot of the mills that we build that are lighter aluminum and, uh, and of our larger competitors are building big old heavy – I mean, weighing three, four, five times what our equipment weighs. And yep. they just got that mindset that that's what it takes. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but, I mean, our guys come back and say like, it took, just like you said, or so or so. It took them two shifts to set up. We're running in four hours and stuff like yep. that. Well. I can't take as we can't take as much material per pass, et cetera, But who cares? Because we're, you know, our little our little tortoise is down the road before they get up in the morning. So,
1: tell me, uh, you know, we talked about flange facing, and I want to I want to tell you, you know, I'll mention a, a really interesting use case in a minute that you and I worked on together a few years ago. Uh, we've talked about pump-based milling. You taught me something new, so i I got to talk to my elder friends more often because they obviously know more than me.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: and, but that's a, that's a really cool application that I learned out of this conversation. Now, you mentioned in the ship that you're partnered with someone and you're doing a lot of coordinate stuff. That, that's not specifically related to field machining. You're doing other kinds of coordinate work.
2: Correct. And, and it's not specifically related to, to laser tracker either. Some of it is some other met, metro, metrological, metrology. Yeah, measurement tools. It's a different type of tools uh, where we're comparing baselines hundreds of feet apart or above deck to below deck. To, so we're pairing up with those guys who've been doing the work. Uh, it's, one of those, <clears throat> it's one of those efforts where the customer basically uh, shotgun marriage this. They said, you're doing all my field machining. These guys are doing the measurement. I only want to give one contract out. And sure. you guys work together all the time. So you guys need to get along. So sure. I got it. So, I'll, you know,
1: for the audience, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know who all of our listeners are and who they will be in the future because our podcast will live in Cloudlandia forever. Um, but, you know, this is the industrial innovators uh, podcast. So it's likely a lot of uh, uh, process facility, maintenance managers, turnaround managers, uh, planners, and specifically, you know, guys who are dealing with pipe piping, pipe fitters. We've got heat exchangers on the uh, on the laser system relative to dialing in heat exchangers. The pumps are, uh, are you know, mill rates and machinist activity and and fixed equipment engineers. Um, but on, on this coordinate thing, we, we had an interesting application that came up last year, and it was different. It, wasn't, it was for piping, but it wasn't for flange flatness. It was we had a client at a nuclear power plant who was changing out a, a variety of piping coming off of pressure vessels, and they wanted something way more accurate to take all their nozzle location geometry than surveying. And we actually used the laser system to shoot all of their exact measurements for all of their nozzle points. So when they cut out the old piping, they could, they could design and fabricate the replacing piping and get it ready to install with laser, literally laser precision. And it worked really, really well. And it was an application that we hadn't really thought of entering into, but, you know, the client said, hey, can you do this? And, uh, and that worked really, really well.
2: Yeah, it is. That's a, that's a really cool application because <clears throat> they're doing a piping, a big piping replacement, especially in a nuclear field. And that, you know, they don't, want, they don't want to spend as little time in there as possible on, around that yeah. piping, generally speaking. So yeah, if you can give an accurate fit up, uh, rather than trying to mechanically be in there wrestling it and, and uh, grinding it or whatever, then it's, it's, a, it's a great application. That's perfect. So, we've talked about, we're just
1: kind of jumping around here a little bit in what we were planning on talking about, uh, customer applications. So, um, give me some other examples of, you know, things I haven't even considered with this. We've talked about piping. We've talked about coordinates on piping, flange facing on heat exchangers, pump-based milling. What else do you got?
2: Well, the other two areas that come to mind right away are in the shipyards. So, in line boring applications. So, the propeller shafts generally come out the back of a boat uh, with a stern tube and a strut tube for uh, mm-hmm. larger boats. So that's that's what's holding the bearing for the prop shaft, and that's coming off whatever the drive is. So there's there's an engine on board, and a big piece of steel rod coming out the back with a propeller on the end of it. Well, those mm-hmm. bearings have got to be lined up, and there's nothing really to reference to, so to speak. So a new build. It's pretty cool. You just set that motor and pull that line uh, and you can do that. Again, it's another instance where we used to try and pull longer and longer bars. We're fortunate that, I mean, we're a company that kind of, I wish more people knew, but we we own 24 and 30 foot long boring bars in our rental and contract fleet. So there's not a lot of people that can reach those places, but you don't have to. I think yeah. you know,
1: it's a similar, know. it's a new strategy similar to using smaller mills, isn't it? It's the same, same idea. Thing. It's the same thing. Smaller, yeah. smaller boring bar and still be accurate
2: across all of your bearing surfaces that you need to align. Absolutely. And we just did that. Uh, we just did a job two weeks ago where we took a two and a quarter bar where historically we'd always had a four or six inch bar, and, and we knew it was tight quarters. So instead of wrestling around, really struggling to get set up and spend a long time let's get in there and get set and then just whittle away a little take a little smaller bites and do it quicker and man we were in and out of there in really good time so bearings bearing and bearing alignment That comes off the prop shaft the drive shafts that comes off the rudders which is the opposite orientation those are all those get torn up Those that's rudders hit ground they wear over time your bearing alignment Um, those are key ingredients in a ship Uh, we do a lot. We are, it's a growing sector of our business in the manufacturing area, uh, which is like the OEM people that are running presses and forging equipment and stuff like that. So that stuff takes a big beating. It's a really wicked, tough environment. They're pounding the heck out of it. Um, They're knocking parts and all of a sudden parts are coming out poor or breaking or whatever. And Historically, this is where, you know, the good old boys would tell you what's wrong and you'd go fix it and their machine still didn't run. And this Mm -hmm. is absolutely the hugest value of a tracker or any kind of laser is you can go in and you can identify, maybe even against a set of drawings, you know, where things are, you know, because you've got things going in a lot of different directions and a lot of key coordinates. So are are they truly running perpendicular? Are the guides running true? And so... We do, you take that survey and then we do a lot of line boring uh, for pockets and bearing fits and crankshaft fits uh, on, on things like that. And then a lot of milling perpendicular and parallel to surfaces in the same, in the same product. So those are another area that we use the machines pretty regularly, pretty, that's a pretty often deal. And yep. we actually do a lot of inspection for a uh, reasonable amount of inspection for those people too. just come in and take a look at it. And they'll say, like, well, I, I'm, it's okay. It's running good. I can take this offline next Christmas or whatever. So right.
1: they like it. What about uh, – uh, we, we talked a little bit about nuclear, but it was really piping. Anything else in power plants for uh, customers who are in the power gen sector that oh, are yeah, listening? Sure.
2: Power plants, the other, other favorite application is in the boiler feed pumps or in pump deals where you've got a series of surfaces that have to be uh, line bored for the yep. pump shaft to go through there. And there's ceiling surfaces within that pump that are perpendicular to that. And they're usually set a known distance apart from each other. And you're basically in a steel barrel. And historically, yep. you've got find the smallest guy you've got that can read an ID mic. And <laughs> that's what you're working with, you know. I got a funny story. Yeah, laying down in there. you got, And then you're trying. But it, with, the, with the laser, you can go in, take that roadmap, set your bar in there. And you can still measure while your bar's in there. You can reach in, you can reach six feet in with my famous ball on a stick and yeah. take those dimensions and know right where it is. And just, it, it's like a dream. It's just, it just keeps you going way more productive and way more certain about what's really going on. We uh,
1: we had a job about 10 years ago on a, a boiler, boiler feed water recirculation pump. And the 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 bearing the, the ceiling surface had all worn out this thing was like 14 inches and my best available field machinist was bigger than me. Um, big Saskatchewan farm boy, uh, really great. You know, what, you know, he was a, what I call a maverick, uh, kind of, or MacGyver kind of machinist. He could figure out how to machine anything. And, uh, and he learned a bunch from, um, uh, who was your guy, your, your, your really awesome field machinist there from Florida.
2: Who's he? Um, Hoozy, right? Genefeld. No, yeah. yeah. So he, you know, Here's so a she, shout out. If, if this gets around, there's somebody on one of these podcasts that needs to raise their arm and said, I remember Hoosie. Hoozy taught me taught me more in a week than I've
1: learned in the last 10 years of all field machining. Yeah, he he was up in Saskatchewan with you cutting pipe. He was. That's him and Glenn, and they were teaching, you know, they taught me so much about setup, and we were cutting some pretty heavy wall uh, steam piping. Uh, on those cutting out those turbines, turbines, and uh, and they oh, were wow. all they were all compound bevels with transitions and bevels, and it was you know for uh, for a young kid that I was at the time, it was baptism by fire on heavy wall field machining with complicated uh, bevel details. And Hoosie taught me so much, and you know I I I'm so fond of him. But uh, this uh, this other technician, uh, you know, learned. Uh, from Hoosie on a few jobs that we did years later. Um, and for anyone who, who, uh, who's listening to this, you'll all know who, uh, who Shane is. And uh, a big shout out to Shane. I think he's in Regina, Saskatchewan right now. Love that guy and hoping to get him back with us come turnaround season. Um, he's but, probably
2: closer to me than you. He could just. Oh yeah.
1: Him. I mean, he could probably throw a rock and reach Red Wing from, from just Regina. Come on, down. come on down. We'll show you around. But uh we had a fourteen inch uh, boiler uh, research pump, and he he 's bigger than me and and i 'm a size fifty kind of jacket and Shane had to squeeze inside this pump we had to take a twenty inch flange facer and actually cut the bar off to fit it in there, so we actually had to da- you know cut off the bar and rebuild the machine and then to to dial the machine in, he had to use a whole range of articulated arms to kind of find a reference point for his dial indicator and it, it it took him you know it probably took him a half an hour to machine the
2: surfaces. It took him two days in setup. And it's real still guessy. It's just really hard to it's hard to pull that trigger and start taking a chip because you know stuff can move and it's you Oh yeah,
1: yeah. He had very small landing surfaces for his legs on that machine. And yeah. I think he in addition to cutting off the arm, he had to sharpen all the uh, all the legs on the machine to uh to to a narrow a point for the small landing surface that he had to mount on. And, and uh, anybody just, you know, when, as you start talking about uh, power gen pumps, and you know, this wasn't staged, I didn't know what you were going to say. Just instantly another job popped into my head going, I've got another application that would be awesome.
2: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely the ticket when you get into that situation. I mean, we've had some other situations We were measuring a press that, they couldn't take it completely offline, so it was still like three hundred degrees, and we were reaching right. back in there. Well, you can't put a person in there to really take any measurements at three hundred degrees, but you not can. someone not someone that you like. Nah, <laughs> I've got some, I got some people that would like to volunteer for that, but yeah. no, I mean we could we've done some stuff like that, and and you know tight quarters is really cool. It's really critical, and yeah, it's fun because you can measure you can measure a pinpoint versus a sixteen foot flange, you know, so. And we're using them big flanges. I mean, you talked about the heat exchangers, and that's that's just classic. I mean, that's just can take. You can come out here and measure everybody's heat exchange all the heat exchangers on the plant in a day or two. Where mm-hmm. you're right, it used to be three or four hours a piece, and you're guessing if whatever you end up with because it's only as accurate as whatever you're spinning. If your machine tool's out, you're just reading off of. A, a bad, bad, well, and I
1: think the, the other thing, you know, we'll just dive into that a little bit. We did that, that, you know, we've done th- two or three jobs for this client in Sarnia, Ontario now. And, you know, this client has, has a, um, has their own specification on heat exchangers to, to dial in and check all their, all their, uh, all their flatnesses, because they've got a really high spec relative to leak tightness on startup. Um, so, you know, their approach was having a, you know, a a, 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 small army of field machinists setting up pieces of field machining equipment, dialing them in and, and trying to, you know, get flatness checks on what, you know, literally was three, more than 300, uh, heat exchanger components. And, um, you know, when we, you know, my approach, when I kind of looked at this was like a, f- a few things. One. You can speed up that inspection so that you could actually do all that those 300 surfaces. It's probably physically impossible on a 20 or 30 day shutdown. With you know, you might only have you know a 10 day window when you can actually do all those checks because you know we're, we're only do, we're only doing the checks so the boilermakers can do their work to do their repairs and cleaning on the vessels. The whole project isn't to to check the flatness. It's a it's a small window in the schedule, right? That so kind. a 30 day shutdown, that the client may only have you know, in in sporadic form as equipment comes apart, three, five, seven days to do all that kind of work throughout the whole schedule. Um, And it's just physically impossible. Plus, the thing that I really realized is, you know, if you've got a 60-inch piece of field machining equipment and a couple of machinists tied up, now you're, you know, you're spending, you're tying up assets that should be used just for cutting metal. Absolutely. so, the, you know, my, my thinking around it when we really started to talk to clients about this is we can do a lot more inspections, we can do it faster, we can do it more accurate, and we can free up field machining resources to actually machine the things that are damaged that need repaired. Here's the, here's the crazy thing that we discovered that we hadn't thought about from the client point of view was the indirect cost associated with um, – with heat exchangers and repairs and whatnot. So the minute that they have to consider dialing in, they can't always do it right there at the work location or at the heat exchanger wash bay. They're paying for material handling and cranes to load components, put it on trucks, potentially to try to keep up with that workload, move some of it to machine shops. They're losing control of those assets because they're in some cases might be leaving their site But the client said to me, and that project that we did, the first one, we did over 300 surfaces uh, and we did it in six or seven days. A couple of things that were interesting. One, we found about 10% effects that dialing in, the dialing in methods didn't find. Um, And we also uh, found out that about 10 or 15% of the things that dialing in said were out of spec because weren't they, they, the client had a flatness rating of of plus or minus minus ten thousandths of an inch. And so a 20 thou range, and they had some stuff that the field machinist had called as a defect using dial indicators that were, you know, what we found is they were, they were, you know, within spec, they were within 10, 12 foul, and they were calling them out at, at above 20 and then putting them on the machining list. Um, so th- there was some interesting things around accuracy and speed that we discovered. But the really crazy thing was what the client told us at the end is, is they saved $250,000 in material handling costs for not having to move equipment around that didn't need to be checked with dials and didn't need to go to a machine shop. Uh, and, I, you know, and I hadn't really thought about, you know, the indirect cost of having to move, you know, transport and trucks and cranes. It was really an interesting other value proposition that was outside of the value of we could inspect everything that they needed and make sure that there was nothing missed. Because
2: Exactly, exactly. You know, and that you're, you're tying up that crane just to pick the machine up. And do yeah, it, exactly. I mean, the field machine, not just not only moving your bundle or whatever. One hundred percent. Yeah, not a lot
1: of uh, not a lot of people out there are going to be uh, lifting a sixty-inch. And it's pretty easy. You have is. a 60,
2: 70, 80 seventy, eighty-inch ring machine or an OD mount machine. It's also real easy to to put that into a slight pretzel, which is visibly not visible, but you get ten or fifteen, twenty thousandths a hump, and then your readings are all screwed up. And not to yeah. mention the conflict that you have of the guy measuring it being your potential machinist. I mean, if you let me measure them like that mechanic, I think they're all out. We don't even need to put the machine up there. We all know that, that, you know, that the field
1: machinist is going to make a judgment call. Hey, I'm here. It's out twelve 12th. I'm going to call it it to say, because we're already set up, we might as well spend three hours machining it and get it to zero.
2: Exactly. You want to just go ahead and cut it or you want to just let it leak. Okay. Your choice. You know, but that's, that's exactly right. The other, the other place on the flanges where we're uh, seeing some, some good traction, it's a big opportunity is crane pedestals. Uh, mm-hmm. and those are big circles that are hard to measure flatness. And so not only uh, do we use a laser, but we decided to build a machine. We built a couple of flange faces. that will go out to 20, 25 foot diameter to machine those. And right. same thing and measure them, cut them, inspect them, get out of there. And uh, so that, that's a big opportunity. And, you know, that, that comes up on loading areas. It also comes up on heavy equipment and, uh, you know, up on the big drag lines and stuff. There's some, there's some big stuff out there, at, uh, big opportunities. Yeah. You remember that, uh, that Millennium uh, Upgrader
1: project we did 20 years ago and you did all the heat treatment on? Yeah. Well, you know, on, on those kinds of uh, oil sands uh, locations, they have got these large coke drums, and they've got, you know, these large dump nozzles on the bottom that are 60 to 80 inches in diameter, and they're inverted, upside down. Um, and I remember on construction, they uh, they had some warpage on them uh, from uh, when they when they uh, when they fired those vessels for heat treatment. And they had an they had an Inconel overlay, so you not only had to set up on the machine to dial it in inverted, then you needed to try to figure out how to machine it. And I just think you know. I, I would have I would have loved to have a laser and you know back then oh, be, able, be yeah. able to shoot those because they didn't just have um, they didn't just have flatness issues because it, it it had become distorted through heat treatment. some of those flanges became oval as well because they hadn't secured them during mm-hmm. during, uh, during a fuel fire on those vessels. Um, so, but an inverted flange is just another great way to, at least you can shoot it and know which ones you have to machine and have really great accuracy.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Rather than lugging 2000 pounds upside down, standing underneath it, being at risk, pulling yeah. things through the vessel. It's a mess, but yes, yeah, huge advantage. So let's talk about, um, about
1: the R and D and sort of the development, you know, where you guys started with this and what kinds of, Obstacles you had and how you kind of overcame them and and where you're okay. at today yeah, just yeah. in in the in the using the technology to 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 get the best productivity and value out of it
2: sure um well, we started because we saw peop other people doing it you know, and then we would hire people as our subcontractor to be our our guide basically that's what the laser guys are doing they're our guide and um so. Over time, we realized that, like, man, we just, we just aren't efficient trying to bid work and be ready to do work and not knowing if that person, those group or those teams are available. Am I going to get the same person? Do they understand what we're trying to do? So from, from just a consistency and a productivity point of view, we said, you know, we want to be in this game. So we put it on our list to buy a laser tracker and kind of set the money aside. But unusual for me uh, I didn't just go buy it and then try and figure it out. We said you know what this isn't gonna work until we have we need we need a power user we need somebody to own this as a power user and and so we kind of you need it the right who yeah exactly yeah. that's exactly right We built who, not a, how <laughs> We built the seat on the accountability chart and we started building processes yep. we, said, we need somebody to sit in this seat and there's nobody in our organization today, Though we would have trained them. I mean, we'd have paid to train them. That was fine. But we just, it wasn't there. and We didn't have it. So I worked with Pharaoh, who we pretty much were pretty certain we were going to buy from them. We talked to the three major suppliers uh, and looked at the pluses and minuses and kind of whiteboarded why you wanted to go with one or the other. Mm -hmm. And we were pretty certain it was going to be Pharaoh. And, uh, And I just let the Pharaoh... A sales guy who's been in the business for 20 years or something. I let him know. I said, I want to hire somebody. And Mike, if you want to, I'm interested in you or somebody that looks like you or whatever. And we got lucky. And there was a guy that came out of a company that was going through a restructuring that had done a lot of really cool precision work. And John came down here and kicked it off. And we just gave him a checkbook and said, here, go buy the laser and go buy the software go buy the laptop go buy the other good stuff and yep. take good care of it and he's a really smart young guy and and did well with us and you know it's, we everything we do is two-man operation we we mm-hmm. almost very seldom do we send a person out we'll, we'll send a person out to train uh with a with a rental with an equipment supply to demo if we've got a long time relationship with a customer there are times where we'll just be part of their crew and just send a person or whatever but So the reason I mentioned that is because so when we would do pure measurement jobs, it's a two man job. We started sending people out and uh, Wes, who was in our engineering and drafting department picked up on it. And so he went out with him a few times and, and Wes just kept grabbing it and grasping it. And over time, the first guy that we hired, John, went on to do his own thing. He was having a baby and various reasons. It wasn't a good fit for him, but he was still leaving in friendly terms and, so Wesley picked that up, and he's been doing it for, gosh, eight or nine years now as the lead guy, and training our other guys. He's built a really solid training program. So, so it's really f- foremost you got to find the right aptitude and who's got that skill set. And we find people uh, like from the architectural viewpoint of draftsmen think in three dimensions and stuff like yep. that. We like uh, people that are millwrights. Again, they've been taught to think in three dimension kind of deal. Uh, it's boy, younger millennial computer oriented people generally are pretty good at this. They, they pick it up easier. There's a lot of computer skills is a key ingredient to success here. Yeah, for sure. Um, Cause so, so that's where we, first of all, you find the right people. Secondly, you pick your software. What are you going to run? Are you going to run? There's a, a handful of different things that you can that you can use in the field. And we settle on Spatial Analyzer, SA, as the most versatile and most powerful for at least to the depth of stuff that we want to do. We settle on it. And we we send them to SA training. Every day, you know, once a year, guys go to SA training. SA comes here and trains us. We'd hire Pharaoh to come in here for two days and just fundamentals, teach us how to run the laser, put five or six people in that training program. So just starting not only field repetition, that's what we would do. Um, and then we would start building templates in the essay. We really pushed to try and build templates. So this is a milling template. This is a line boring template. This is So when it repeats, you're starting to fill in the blanks rather than going out there and being like a, a, a scout and figuring it out every time brand new and stuff like that. So it's really taking established talent and equipment and proven stuff And then just taking a little next step and making it working with the on-site machining people Mm -hmm. from start to finish so that it fits our parameters. Uh, And the other thing that we do is, is these guys don't just run lasers. They're, they're making chips with the mill. They're, they may not be the point person, although some of them are capable of being the point person on a milling project or line boring project, but they're making chips during part of the time. They're not just going to, That's not just integrated services. It's an integrated crew. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, that's really that the technology is staying on top of the software, spending way too much money for that software. It's just ridiculously expensive. Uh, Getting it cloud-based so you can diagnose from different places, Mm -hmm. I would say is real important. We didn't used to have that, but now it's a lot easier to see things and communicate and sort things out when, when a tracker, I mean, it's a, it's a fairly robust, but it's also in its own way, a little bit of delicate tool and they start acting finicky. Yep. If you can see what's going on from another place, we can diagnose. We've got guys that can kind of talk their way through it and stuff. So and that's pretty much it. And just staying on top of the stuff. I mean, you stay, keep talking to Pharaoh and they come by about every four months and try and sell you more stuff and you go, yeah, that's nice. I really not. I like what I got. We've got older versions. We, we, we don't have the newer ions, or that we have the older ions, we don't have the newer ones, and we like them. They're robust, they last, they work. Yeah, there are some features in the new ones that are nice, but they're not essential right now. So, um,
1: yeah, you got to have context to your applications, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, t- let's talk talk about tell me about a report like how are you uh, how and when are you handing the customer uh, a report on say a heat exchanger like what's the yeah, uh, what's
2: the it, you know it kind of varies um, a little bit we we try and identify that at the front end what the customer's expectations are because again this is man this is learning the hard way because uh you go in there and the guy th- thinks he you owe him everything that he saw in there and to write a real report it's, several hours of work for a guy to sit down and, and put it all together in, in the format that we're comfortable handing to the customer. Yeah. Um, but if he's, if you walk in there and you say like, tell me these 15 readings or these 40 readings around the plant, but well, we can fill those out. You know, we can just have that in a spreadsheet and spit that out and hand it back to them. If they want yeah. a more elaborate report about start to finish that they might rely on for some of their productivity or efficiency or, or, project or management functions or operating performance in that plant well we'll probably charge them for that because the guys we're going to spend eight ten hours putting that together and reviewing it in-house before we hand it over to the customer so like that so it might be real simple it might just be a readout like you might write down virtually a digital readout to a much more elaborate three-dimensional type look uh, that SA can put out we can put out nice color charts and Show them highs, lows, and variances, and stuff like that. So, um, it it varies uh, by application. It varies by customer, and stuff like that. And We just got to be real clear. One of the key ingredients is that everybody's not entitled to every piece of data that we uh, that we took. Right. You need. We need to know what your what your uh, value is and what you're trying to accomplish, and we'll feed you all the data to accomplish that and stuff. I'm not trying to hold anything back or anything, but. You can also get yourself deeper and deeper in a rabbit hole without realizing if you're not careful. So it's pretty important to clarify what information.
1: I think
2: It's always nice when you're selling them the same thing that they think they're buying. Yeah, you know, for us, what we try to do
1: is, you know, well, look at the customer. As an example, with heat exchangers, you know, they're used to a dial indicator, you know, Customers, a lot of the time in their own quality management program, have their own report that they're trying to produce that might have 8, 10, 20, 40 indications of flatness. And some of them want to run out from inside to outside. Some of them want a height report on the if it's a raised face. Some of them also want to see um, the bolt circle. But what we did is we just built those templates. And then the customer wants 35 or, you know, 24 or 36 data points. And what they really want to know is they want to have those 36 data points and they want to have a go, no go during a turnaround. Hey, do we need to machine this or is this good to go? And so we actually built, you know, so a, a a template to take the data out of the, out of the laser, import it into a, into a, a reporting tool and it instantly is formatted with their report and it literally, our report literally goes red or green, right? And and that's it says pass or engine. fail, so we can we can hand it to the we can hand it to the reliability engineer or the inspection team and say this one's a pass based on your criteria. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you know they they might want more data later, but in the heat of critical path on the turnaround, they want a thumbs up or thumbs down so they can modify the schedule and take action.
2: Absolutely, that's 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 exactly right. So you got to. It's green, yellow, or red. Red is clearly in violation. Green is go, and yellow is kind of, buddy, it's your call. We're not making these calls because I know, like yourself, <clears throat> we're not in the engineering game. We're not, we're not making these decisions. We're just giving you solutions to cre- to solve the issues that you have that your engineers are deciding they're driving. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, a lot of the, most clients that we work with have some, some don't, and, you know, we'll give them recommendations to go to, like, ASME PCC-1 bolting guidelines, oh. or something to give them some reference points. Um, but a lot, most clients will have some level of a, of a specification on flange flatness that mm-hmm. says you know you know minus zero plus ten, or plus or minus five, or plus or minus ten thousandths of an inch. And then we just we just set up our reports for them based to on mimic, that? to mimic their their flatness guidelines.
2: Yeah, and just, ho- just that hope. That it, yeah, exactly. Just hope that somebody's looked at something real world. Rather than some twenty-four-year-old engineer that took it out of the manufacturing specs that thinks you're going to, yeah, hope. you
1: know, I've we've, you know, I've I've found some, you know, interesting um, specifications over the years that I, you know, I had to call out and say, you know, hey, Mister Customer, your boatloads loads are way too low or they're way too high or you know, your, you know, this idea of getting zero everywhere on a flange means you're going to be machining everything. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> so Forever. you
1: you've got to have a practical answer for the, for the goal of what your leak tightness program is. And, the you know, and the risk and the probability of, of a leak on a 150 pound utility system versus, you know, a 900 pound steam system or, uh, or, you know, a sour line, you know, each one of those should have some tighter criteria.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, I think one of the, one of the really cool things about the whole laser system is it keeps you honest. I mean, there's not a, there is some play in how you set the reporting function. You can, you can manipulate that by what your best fit planes and stuff are. But generally speaking, if you have a starting point and you agree that with your customer, your people, and your personnel, it keeps you honest. There's not a lot of interpretation. I, I, I yeah. love
1: the transparency of it because yeah, absolutely. You know, let, let's face it, a dial indicator can, uh, can, uh, can move intentionally.
2: Yeah, and Absolutely. so
1: I think it should give the customer a higher level of confidence that the, the data that they're getting is, is is valuable and accurate. Hey, let's just jump into some frequently asked questions on like what are, when customers are looking at this or talking to them, you know, what are the things that they're asking?
2: Uh, it's the norm. What, where, do, where does it always start? What's this cost? How much is this going to cost me? Why do I want to do this? <clears throat> and, it's, and then... Um, and then you get the good ones like can I align the front end of my car with this you know <laughs> yeah there's you know?
1: always some guy in the room who 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 figures out how he's going to use it at his house tonight right exactly exactly
2: <laughs> can you help me hang drywall in my basement with it <laughs> stuff like that so yeah I can um how much is it how accurate is this thing really you know is it really that accurate and we just hand them the specifications to the manufacturer calibration certs and say yeah this is this is it, you know, and here's our process uh, that we follow and stuff like that. And and we just turn it back to let's talk about the project. Let's not talk – let's not just talk about laser measurement. Let's talk about what your end goal is. What is the product? What – and just – and it's just we repeat it all the time. What does done look like to you? What does it look like? What do you want it to be? What are those parameters? Are they real? How are you going to test them? So, you know, it it's – there's the people that are – uh, really green and never seen it or something like that. They, they're either like very skeptical or they want to use it for everything. They just think it's, they just think it's a cure all for everything, you know, and we just kind of have to tone that down. Um, and the people that have been around it or heard of it and seen it, uh, start picking up on it, uh, that it's a good tool. And, you know, we've converted a lot of people. I'm sure you have too. Uh, that once you get it going, the fact that we can be right there uh, to do the corrective action as needed uh, from machining, your flange is out or not out, your line bore is out, not out, and stuff, then that all kind of just dovetails together, and we can do that on a moment's notice, basically. You know, we right. can show up, and you know, we have some big advantages. We own 600 assets, 700 assets in our field machining category, you know, and uh, it's way more than we use but that's okay I, I'm they call me Fred Sanford around here I just keep collecting more and more <laughs> stuff you know I like it um, so we can show up ready field field machining,
1: business
2: is, about, machining business is about having those assets available when you need them right you never know which one it's going to be exactly and the time when it shows up it might be once a year once every two years but feels good then but you know we can show up and be ready and and we, that gives us, you know, owning all those assets gives us some flexibility on, on charge rates and stuff as well. I mean, there's not always that we have to, based on level of businesses out there right at that moment, we don't have to charge you full rate for standby equipment just in case and stuff. So I think it gives us a big advantage. And, and you know, you just, you know, it's kind of the old golden rule too. You know, you treat them the way you want to be treated. You, you agree what the end result really needs to look like. You're totally transparent about how you're going to get there. Uh, you own up when you screw up uh, because stuff's going to happen in this business. You know, that's... that's dollar,
1: dollar for dollar. I mean, if, you know, and it, it, every market's different, but if you've got a $2,000 a day piece of field machining equipment and you've got a $2,000 a day laser, you're going to get 20 times more work done for flatness checks with a laser than you're ever going to get with a piece of field machining equipment. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You know, Productive. you got to fact, factor in the improvement in productivity, what you're going to get done with. It's the right tool for the job. And I, I haven't run, run exact numbers and it depends on the size of the piece of field machining equipment and the size of the, the client asset that you're measuring, but it's at least a 10 to one value that you're creating huge. with the laser.
2: Just, just enormously huge. And, uh, and also that total efficiency of of staging the equipment where the work needs to be done, sort of like we're talking about multiple mills or, you know, putting that big ring machine or that flange facer or whatever where the flange needs to be cut rather than sitting there waiting for it to tell you if it needs to cut or not. So yeah. it's all. It's sort of, I mean, we was, spent years yeah.
1: trying to figure out how to build little dial-in spiders so you didn't have to use field machining equipment. And then then yeah. you fight how accurate those things are and and – you know this solves all that so that you you know it, it you no longer have to build a an arm with a
2: with a with uh yeah a and chunk bearing
1: and stuff like for that. dialing right absolutely it's,
2: yeah so that you can't touch so it's it's just you're right i mean it's safer it's faster it's more productive it is absolutely the right tool for for purpose uh it's extremely versatile uh so i don't know it's it's really fun i wish we used them even more than we do but it's it's a growing sector we we job uh, categorize everything that we do, you know, by sale, rental, or contract, and whether it's machining, uh, heating, combined, offshore, and and lasering. Laser gets an X in our job coding. So we let the original guy pick. He said, you want M? M's taken for machining. S is taken for heating, for stress. Tech. What are you going to say? I want X. That'd be cool. So this is an X job. <laughs> you know, and, and X jobs are about... They're about 20% of our uh, contract work, our field machining work now, but that's, that includes MX. Some of them are pure X, but uh, some, some are, are laser,
1: some are laser with machining.
2: Right, right, right. Some of the, a lot of that's because of the big, big uh, Marinette Marine in, in uh, Wisconsin, where we do our biggest customer, where we do, all, I mean, laser just lives up there. Yeah.
1: Next, have a no, couple, wait, in, uh, in Canada, it's, Still relatively new. That we've got a we've got a couple of customers who literally book us two years in advance for their turnaround, and then we've got other customers that we you know it's you know you got you have to talk to them about it maybe ten times, and then finally they realize you mean I can dial all this stuff in and not have to do all the field machining, and some light comes on, going there's a better way to do heat exchanger work on a shutdown, and then and then and then they then they try it, and then you know. Once they try it, and you work out and you work out in advance how their reporting system is going to work, and you start handing them five, six, ten dial-in reports in a shift, they don't go back. Yeah, but but it's like any technology, right? It it th- there's an awful lot of hearing about it before they decide this is a way better way for me to you know drive efficiency in the critical path of my turnaround because it's not really about. Not really about the laser. It's really about two things: is you know how can I how can I inspect all the surfaces so I don't get a leak, and you know how can I do it as fast as possible because let's face it, on a shutdown, they're in critical path, and you know inspection is important, but they want to get it inspected, repaired, and put back together.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and then you have a consistency factor too, because right. no matter what you say, if you're mechanically checking. There's, there's, a, there's a touch factor that's involved and, and stuff than compared to, I mean, if the ball is touching the play. Well, there's,
1: there, you know, there's potential for, for a lot more inconsistency with human error, right? For sure, for sure. 100%. So what should customers think about, you know, that they're, you know, and questions they should ask or things they should be asking themselves that they're not?
2: But we would, really, know, would really would really change thing, the game. One the thing they really need to think about is uh, where they kept MacTech's phone number. That's really a- <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that at the end of the podcast, and that's specifically for U.S.
1: customers. Um, th- there's another number uh, yeah, for our uh, northern for our <laughs> northern
2: friends. Your
1: your northern brothers.
2: <clears throat> yeah. No. Um, th- what they really need to what they really need to think about is uh, is clearly kind of trying to know what they're trying to know. They need to have their stuff together that they know what the end really is going to look like. And then come to to the table ready to describe that project or that process or that end uh, product clearly with us to get into a dialogue. We really want to engage uh, with the customer to talk about how we're going to do it and what their expectations are. You know, the guys that just send you a pile of prints and say it's in there, the dimension yeah. in there. Well, you know. Depends on who you're getting that from, sometimes that's a
1: planner who has 1,500 binders of paper and he wants you to take this piece off of his
2: plate, right? Yeah, exactly. So, But, you know, the, what, what I really want him to think about is I'm going to call these guys because uh, – Well, because we have have three uniques in our, you're familiar with the EOS process, Donnie, and and I am. And uh, our uh, three uniques in our marketing program are, we have excellent people and equipment. That's number one. We put together great, great folks and great gear. Secondly, and this is the real driver, is our expertise is built upon experience. This is not engineering philosophy. This is not theory. This is not, I mean, all those things are factors, but it really comes about, this is stuff we've done before and we're going to do it again, but probably a little bit better. And our third unique is we are absolutely passionate about giving the customer the right answer. So, you know, everybody's got some of those, but we really feel like we've got the market cornered as to anybody that's got all three of those in one bucket and stuff. So, So that's what we want people. We want people calling us because, they're gonna have a dialogue with us, they're gonna have a discussion with us about what is a good way, what's the best way, what can I expect, then we're gonna shoot them straight. You know? Everything we do is we're trying, to, we're trying to build our customers up to the level that our tagline right now is we're the first call. That's, that's what our tagline in the company is, that's what flies on the banners around here is just the first call. And that's what we want them to do. We want them to call us and shoot straight, tell us what their expectations, what their requirements are, and we'll do the same back. I'll tell
1: you, on one of your uni- uniques about building on experience, I think, is what you, you, you described it as. Um, you know, what I, you know, I'm, you know, we've been friends a long time, but I've been your, you know, I've, your, I've been your client for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, that, that idea of building on experience and consistency, if you call a, a lot of other organizations, there's someone different there every three years, it seems. Uh, in a lot of cases, I love calling MacTech because I know I can get a hold of you. A lot of other people might can't, but I know how to get you. And But, you know, I know that, you know, you guys are constantly learning and you're constantly driving innovation. And I, I've been calling you for, you know, a quarter century now. And I always get the same kinds of value and the same kinds of collaboration you know, that's a that that's really important because, um, you, know, knowing, you know, knowing that you're – I want you to be smarter than me at this.
2: <laughs> and, that's right? why, and that's why I surround myself with people that are smarter than me. That's yeah, it. yeah. Well, you and
1: I do both the same things. We just know the right questions to ask. I don't yeah, exactly. necessarily know all the answers. Being,
2: being smart is uh, being able to identify smart people and to smell bullshit. That's kind of the expertise. For me, what you know, when, when it, how customers need to think differently about,
1: about leveraging laser inspection is they kind of got to be open-minded to thinking differently than how they've ever thought about measuring anything. Because they they are – because they're used to having to put a lot of dial indicators, maybe a team of mill rates on something, and it taking a couple of days, it's a pretty big paradigm shift to think that you can do that in a half an hour – with two guys and have better information um, and so you know the 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 ways that you can leverage it and the way you can actually do your work is totally different you know i 've got clients today, and you know we 're planning about five shutdowns right now, and several of those clients are still thinking about dial indicators the and they 're listing on their packages you know we 've got these seven heat exchangers that are leaking, and our fixed equipment guys have some concerns about these two. So we want you to not, we want you to put those nine on the field machining checklist. And, and then what happens is, you know, that becomes the critical path and it, you know, and it takes up a big chunk of their schedule because they're not even thinking outside the box that, Hey, we could check everything for less time than it would cost us to dial indicate those 10 pieces of equipment. Yeah. Um, and but so they got to think differently about it. And that, that, that mm-hmm. takes a, you know, it's like going from, um, from having a disk drive to, as you said, it being in the cloud, it changes the way that you can leverage that technology. And literally, you know, the way I see it, if you've got 10 heat exchangers that are leakers that you've got to, you've got to dial in and see if, if, if it's a flatness issue uh, or, I mean, if it's a visual, you know, wire cut flange or something, that's obvious on visual, but if it's a flatness issue and they want to dial them in as part of their process – you can do that in, in a in, in Very 20th of the time and then check a whole bunch more stuff while you're at it because it's, you know, more often than not, it's that new leaker that comes up because they didn't check something because it wasn't on their watch list.
2: Yeah, and, I think that's right, Donnie. And I think one of the other things um, that, you know, you gotta, you're dealing with a lot of operating people, operational people that um, have got a lot of experience. I mean, and 100%. they're smart people and they think they know what's wrong and they think they know how to fix it and stuff like that. And, and they, I'm not saying they're wrong because they've been right an awful lot for the last 10 or 20 or 30 years they've been doing this. But if you come in with a laser, uh, especially on some things, you're gonna get a full body scan. You're not just gonna get an x-ray of the elbow that's bothering you that the guy's already personally diagnosed that the problem is my elbow. Yeah. You're gonna get a full body scan that's gonna tell you a lot of data that's open and clear to interpret and work with, and it's completely different. And sometimes sometimes those guys aren't comfortable with that. They don't necessarily, because they, they want to be the smart guy and the expert, or they've always done it this way. You know, it's it's the same old hand pan that they've used forever. So, But, but you know what ends up happening is the,
1: is the clients who jump on and say, I want to do this they become the smart guy because absolutely you know, they're absolutely. the one who brought they are the one who brought it into the plant and changed the way they do things right yeah
2: well i'm not we we don't we don't have any uh buddy in our company that when we prove the customer wrong we don't run through the plant waving reports around mm-hmm. we give them to him and let him prove how smart he is you know that's it's exactly. his report he's still, he, resistance from from kind of an old guard resistance naturally and stuff like that but you get them to think about it and talk about it, and then you're like, ah, oh, okay. And then you start giving them data and information, and, and man, they become converts really quickly. You know, that. like I said, Terry used to, in the shipyard, he like, get R2-D2 out back out here. I need you mm-hmm. next week. So, yeah. He never,
1: you know, and he that's all he needs to know is it's R2-D2. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. This
2: same guy that our guys used to go out with, with job log or daily log checklists and, And sometimes they'd have a a survey, you know, Terry, do you want to fill out this survey? He said, I don't need no damn survey. I got Joel's number. I got (laughs) to call him. So there you go. So um, we're kind of running to the end, probably
1: even over our time a little bit. Um, Any final final thoughts on, uh, on, uh, on this subject on laser inspection that you want to throw out to the audience?
2: No, it's I just it's probably pretty repetitive, you know, uh, get an open mind, uh, look for the goal, look for the end zone first, where are you trying to get to, what does the part look like, find a, a, a reasonable path, not necessarily the fastest path, but a reasonable path that hits both the time and accuracy requirements that you have, uh, train people, make sure that they're honest and open to interpretation and share that data, and share it with the customer and get the expectations all in line at the front end. I mean, it's classic sales, it's classic deal, but um, spend your money and your time on the people that are gonna run it, so you get really smart people that are passionate about it and they like doing it. Uh, educate the people around them so they're familiar with it, and then uh, go like heck. All right, so my my final thoughts are um,
1: you know, for clients if you're measuring anything or you have a need to measure anything, if you can see it and we can get a line of sight on it, uh, we can measure it faster, more accurate, and more consistently and give you better quality information than you could do it physically.
2: And, and like you said, the other thing you're doing is you're building that database. for that. Right. Database. So three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now, you can reconfirm where things are.
1: So Joel um for everyone in the USA and not in Canada <laughs> um how uh, how can they reach you what's your uh, what's your eight hundred
2: number Uh in the USA 800 328 1488 com. Don't worry about just the USA if you're not in Canada but anywhere else in the world call me call us go. Yeah www- com just give us a shout, and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you. And I can say,
1: um, both as a friend and as a client, uh, th- there's a reason I have been calling Joel for, uh, for 26 years now, and uh, it's because I get, I get great service, great solutions, and, uh, and always uh, always fair to deal with. So,
2: now, It's a two-way street, Don. I appreciate that, and, uh, you know, it goes both, both directions. You always treat us really well as well.
1: All right. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks, folks. And uh, I appreciate everyone listening in and we'll catch you on the next episode. Okay.
2: Thanks, Don. Thanks, Wyatt.
0: Thanks, buddy. And there you have it. We truly do hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Industrial Innovators Podcast. If you'd like to find or reach out to either of those on this episode, you can find Joel's company, MacTech, at mactechonsite.com. And you can find Don and his company at innovator.ca. Please don't forget to leave a rating, it helps us a lot, and please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening again, and we will see you next time.